Thank you for that, Jesse. Good morning, Mercy Hill. How are we doing? Happy Mother's Day to you moms out there. Y'all are incredible. Uh, my wife, Lindsay, recently just became a mom, and so I feel like I have a whole nother level of appreciation for all that goes into motherhood. Y'all rock. So glad you're here, moms. The rest of you, glad you're here too. Uh, if we haven't met before, my name is, is Timmy. I'm on staff here at Mercy Hill. Now, um, a little bit about me growing up. I grew up in a family that loved to watch movies. And if you've been around me, you know that I like to quote movies. And one of the movies that I really liked watching growing up was The Karate Kid. So who here has seen The Karate Kid? That's most of you. I'm talking about the OG one with like Ralph Macchio, okay? And um, if you haven't seen it, I'm about to spoil it. So, but it's, it's kind of your fault. You've had it since 1984, all right? So the movie goes like this. There's, there's this, this kid, Daniel LaRusso, he's in high school. He moves to California with his mom. It's just him and his mom, and they're kind of poor. And then his life becomes really miserable when he enters this high school that he's at. There's all these other high schoolers who are part of this, like, evil karate dojo, and they're just constantly bullying Daniel, okay? They're just constantly beating him, him, him up, okay? He doesn't like his life there. It's horrible. But all that changes one night as he's getting beat up when he meets his neighbor, Mr. Miyagi, okay? Turns out Mr. Miyagi is a karate legend, okay? And so he fights off, you know, the bullies. And then Daniel's life pretty much changes from then on completely. Like Mr. Miyagi takes him under his wing. Turns out Mr. Miyagi's loaded, has tons of cars. He's like, Daniel, pick whatever one you want. He teaches him karate. And by the end of the movie, right, he goes from being this nobody kid who's getting beat up all the time to this somebody, all-valley champion, okay? And he takes care of his bullies and his life is forever changed. All because he met this somebody, Mr. Miyagi. Now, what I want to think about this morning is what happens when someone meets Jesus? Like, what happens when someone truly encounters Jesus? You see, this morning we're going to be looking not at a fictional story about karate but about a real factual historical account of several different men who encountered Jesus and the impact that it had on their lives. And so if you have a Bible, you can turn to John chapter 1. Now last week, we, we spent some time talking about this guy, John the Baptist, who was kind of like the last of the Old Testament prophets. And he's basically just continued to elevate Jesus in his ministry. All right? And this morning we're going to see an encounter with John the Baptist and some of his disciples with Jesus. So we'll start in verse 35. It says, the next day, again, John was standing with two of his disciples. And he looked at Jesus as he walked by and said, behold, the Lamb of God. The two disciples heard him say this and they followed Jesus. Okay, so verse 35, it says it's the next day. So this is a continuation of this, this story of Jesus' life. And we see John make a similar statement to what he's already said in verse 29, where he says, Behold, the Lamb of God. In verse 29, he added it. He takes away the sins of the world. And we talked a lot about John the Baptist last week. And I don't want to spend too much time here, but I just want us to notice he continues to do this thing in his life where he's like, Hey, don't look at me. Look at Jesus. Stop following me. Don't follow me. Follow Jesus. He's the hero, not me. And then what happens? Two of his disciples, they follow Jesus. 
Now, one of them is Andrew, who we're going to find out in verse 40 is, is Simon Peter's brother. And the other most commentators think is John, the, actual, the author of this book. But we don't really know that for sure. He's unnamed. But in verse 37, we read that the two disciples heard him say this, and they followed Jesus. And kind of as they're walking behind Jesus, we see that Jesus turned around and saw them following and said to them, What are you seeking? And they said to him, Rabbi, which means teacher, where are you staying? He said to them, Come and you will see. So they came and saw where he was staying, and they stayed with him that day, for it was about the 10th hour. Fun fact, that's 4 p.m. So interesting interaction here, right? You got these two disciples, they're walking behind Jesus, they're following him, and Jesus turns and he asks them a question. He says, What are you seeking? I think what Jesus is really asking is, hey, what's on your heart? What's on your mind? And they respond with a question. They're like, they're like where, where are you staying? And I think that the reason is, is because they're intrigued about this Jesus guy. They've heard John the Baptist continue to elevate him. Like, who is this Jesus? They want to get to know him. And so Jesus says, come and you will see. And so they follow him and they spend the day with Jesus. Now, before we move forward in our text, I want to just talk a little bit about Andrew. Okay, the Bible tells us quite a bit about his brother, Peter, but we don't get a lot of information about Andrew. What we do know is that Andrew was the brother of Simon Peter. We know that he's from Bethsaida, and we know that he lived in Capernaum and was a fisherman. I think something that's interesting is that it's actually Andrew who encountered Jesus before his brother Peter did. But what Andrew did, guys, is he followed Jesus. And now when it says that, that Andrew followed Jesus, what we need to understand is, is we'll see this throughout the Gospel of John. Is sometimes John will give like a, a double meaning to something or there's a deeper hidden meaning than what it looks like at first glance. And so when it says that he followed Jesus, yes, Andrew physically followed Jesus to where he was going that day. But Andrew also followed Jesus for the rest of his life. And also when it says that Jesus said, come and you shall see. Yes, that's an invitation to come, to come hang out with me. But it's also an invitation to come and follow me for the rest of your life. Andrew, guys, what you might know, he became one of the 12 disciples and would follow Jesus the rest of his life, all the way until he died a death of a martyr for Jesus. So my question for us is why? Like why would Andrew drop everything and follow Jesus for the rest of his life? And maybe an even bigger question is why should we? Like why should you and I follow Jesus for the rest of our lives? I think sometimes in the American church, it's kind of easy to really forget that following Jesus, like Christianity, it's against the grain. Like it's not normal to the world. Like if you follow Jesus, and you probably already experienced this, but if you do follow Jesus, like there's going to be times where you're questioned. Your life should look different. There's going to be times where you're probably mocked or you're made fun of. Or you lose certain relationships because Jesus is king of your life. And you don't live how you used to live when you didn't know Jesus. Like that's a reality. Remember what Paul told Timothy? He said, all who desire to live a godly life will be what? Persecuted. Like it's inevitable. 
Like, it is costly following Jesus, and it is not easy. Remember what they did to Jesus, right? The world does not love Jesus. They killed Jesus. They said, crucify him. It wasn't because he was bad, but it's because he was too good. And so if, if we are trying to live lives following Jesus and preaching the same message that Jesus is about, we should expect the same. So why should we follow Jesus? I think the answer to that question is found in verse 29 where John says, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. So what does that mean? You see, I think to understand this, we need to go back, way back to the beginning of our Bible in Genesis chapters 1 through 3. When God first created the world, everything was perfect. Sin wasn't a thing. There was, no, there was no evil. Death did not exist. And Adam and Eve willfully disobeyed God. They sinned against God. And because of that, death entered into the world. And Adam, the scriptures tell us, he was, he was the head of the human race, the, our, our, our representative. And when he fell, the entire human race fell with him, which means now you and I are born with a sin nature. The little child that Lindsay's holding back there, that's my little girl, she has a sin nature. And it won't be long till we start to see it. And some of it she'll learn from Lindsay and I because we sin. But some of it is just in her sin nature. And you, if you have kids, you've definitely experienced that before. Guys, we are sinners. It is what we do. And that is a very big problem because God is holy and just. And he can't just overlook our sin as if it's not that big of a deal. He can't just say, oh, don't worry about it. It's not that big of a deal. There's no consequences for that. No, God is a just judge. And that is a huge problem for us. Because we've all broken his law. And to sin against a holy, eternal God brings eternal consequences. So where humanity lies is under the wrath of God for eternity. That's what we deserve for our sin against the authority of God, the creator of everything. But the good news of the gospel is that God, in his love, sent Jesus to go. Jesus took on flesh. The eternal son of God became a man the word became flesh. So what we've been reading about, he became a man, lived a perfect life, and willingly went to the cross as a living sacrifice. And on the cross, our sins, past, present, and future, were laid on him. And so when we look at our bloody Savior on the cross in faith and we trust in him, he cleanses us from our sins. He washes us clean. He invites us into his family. He justifies us to where we're no longer guilty and condemned before God, but we are seen as sons and daughters, invited into his family, clean forever. We have an inheritance that's incorruptible, undefiled. It's paid all by his blood and his work on the cross. To me, guys, the only logical response to somebody who understands that truth is to follow that Savior. Like to someone who truly their eyes are open to that truth that they were once broken, an enemy of God, damned before him. And yet Jesus willingly took their place on the cross, took the punishment they deserved, conquered death. and The only logical response is to follow that guy. Follow him forever. Some people might say, you're crazy for following Jesus. But I'd say anyone who has a true understanding of the gospel like what Jesus has done for him, it would be crazy for them not to follow Jesus. That wouldn't make sense. 
I want to talk a little bit about following Jesus for a second because I think in American Christianity, like in our, in our culture, this can be a bit fuzzy. And I think we can learn something to what Jesus asked in verse 38, where he says, what are you seeking? Like, what are you looking for? What are you wanting out of Jesus? Is it this comfortable life? Is it this get out of hell free card? Is it your life goals and plans with a little bit of Jesus on top? Like you see Christianity, guys, it's not like some, some little box that we check. It's not some prayer that we pray. Guys, Christianity is a person you surrender your life to and you follow forever. That's Christianity. And when it comes to Christianity, it's not like a, a halfway in, halfway out thing. Like it is all or nothing. Like when it comes to Christianity, my whole life is in on Jesus. Like it would be weird if you asked somebody and you said, hey, are you a Christian? And they said, kind of. Like that should be, that should be pretty weird to you if someone said that. That's like if you asked me, hey, Tim, are you married? And I said, kind of. Like, like you should have questions about that, concerns about that. That is wrong on a lot of different levels, right? I'm either married to Lindsay or I'm not. And here's the thing, guys. If I am married to Lindsay, that has major implications on my life. In the same way, when it comes to following Jesus, you either follow Jesus or you don't. This is a yes or no question. Are you all in or not? And I think this is important because there's a lot of people who say, yes, Jesus, I'm about Jesus. I love Jesus. But when it comes to their lives, really what they say is as long as he fits my agenda. As long as I don't have to lay down my life plans. As long as I get to choose to do the things that I want to do. Yeah, I want Jesus a part of my life. I want him to come be a part of my plan. But I don't want to give up everything to follow him. And if that is the way that you're living your life, guys, I just want to say that's a huge problem. As Christians, we don't get to pick and choose the things in the Bible that we submit to. We don't get to pick and choose the commands that Jesus has given us. That we say, yeah, I want to follow those, but not these. That's too much. Nothing is off limits when it comes to Jesus. It is all in or not at all. Like Jesus doesn't want to just be king of our Sunday mornings, Mercy Hill. He, he wants and deserves to be king of our entire life, every second of it. And so we don't invite him into being part of our plans, but He's actually invited us to be part of his. And that is a good thing. That is the best thing possible. Scripture tells us that his commands are not burdensome. But they're meant to lead to fruition. And so here's what it looks like to follow Jesus. It would be as if we wrote down all our desires, all our life goals, all the things we'd ever want in this life. We put that on a piece of paper, light it on fire and say, it doesn't matter if I don't have you, Jesus. And we run after Jesus and we say, I am yours. Here's my yes, you can put it on the table. And I'm looking at many faces here who have done that, who've moved away from homes, from families, from the places they grew up to move to Cincinnati to help start something like Mercy Hill because Jesus is king of your life. And it is so encouraging and so incredible. See, when it comes to Andrew, once he encountered Jesus and realized who he was, he followed Jesus for the rest of his life. And the same should be true for us. When we encounter Jesus, the Lamb of God who was slain for our sins, the one who conquered death, 
The only right response is follow him. Now look at what Andrew does next, verse 40. It says, one of the two who heard John speak and followed Jesus was Andrew, Simon Peter's brother. He first found his brother Simon and said to him, we have found the Messiah, which means Christ. He brought him to Jesus. Jesus looked at him and said, you are Simon, the son of John. You shall be called Cephas, which means Peter. Okay, so it says, right after Andrew starts following Jesus, the first thing he does, he goes, he finds his brother. He finds, he finds Simon. He tells him, hey, we found the Messiah. We found the anointed one. He brings him to Jesus. Jesus looks at Simon and says, you are Simon, son of John. From now on, you'll be called Cephas, which means Peter. It's kind of weird. Jesus changes his name, but here's the thing, guys. Jesus is God. He gets to do that. He has the authority to do that. In fact, this isn't the only time that he does that. He does it with James and John as well. He calls them the sons of thunder, like gives them that nickname. And, and, and look, like Jesus gets to do that. Some people think that he did that with James and John because they argued a bunch. We don't really know for sure. But I really don't want to focus on Peter or James and John here. I want us to just notice what Andrew did. Okay, just a simple observation here in this text. Andrew realizes who Jesus is when he encounters him, that he's the Messiah. And the first thing he does is he goes and he tells his brother that he's here and he brings him to Jesus. Like, don't miss this. This right here is how the church started. This right here is how the church continues to grow. And this right here is how the church advances today. And what I want to see is like people who have been found by Jesus, they help others find Jesus. Like people who have been found by Jesus, who were once lost but are now found, who once didn't have a hope but now do, who once were blind but now see, they help others find Jesus. Like it's just a normal thing. Like when we get excited about something, it's like we want to share it with others. Um, Last year I got the privilege of living with Daniel Chang, before he got married to now Miss Liz Chang, congrats. Daniel was renting our old basement out. And when somebody lives in your house, like, like you get to know them at a different level. And so I found out that, that Daniel has a big old sweet tooth, okay? And so Daniel is always bringing home these different ice creams. And, and, and me, like, I'm kind of like a basic ice cream guy. Like I like chocolate, you know, maybe some cookies and cream, maybe, maybe sometimes chocolate. But Daniel like gets these like out there flavors like Berry Blast and Lemon Pop and whatever. And so he's just bringing these different ice creams, right? And he's like, dude, dude, you got, you got to try this. This is, this is so good, dude. This is so good. And, <laughs> and then like the next day he's got a different one. He's like, dude, dude, this is the best ice cream I've ever had. I'm, I'm, this is the best one I've ever had. And it's just like Haagen-Dazs chocolate peanut butter. It was just pretty good, Daniel. It was good. I don't about the best. But then a week later, literally, Daniel brings some Grater's key lime pie. And he's like, dude, this really is the best ice cream I've ever had. <laughs> I tried that ice cream, guys. Grater's key lime pie might be the best ice cream I've ever had. It is amazing. And I've, like, probably shared it with half of you, in, and I've shared it with all of you. Okay, Grater's key lime pie. Here's the catch, though. You can only get it in August. All right, it's a seasonal flavor, okay? The good things don't last forever. I know this because I got the Grater's ice cream calendar hanging on my fridge now. Thank you, Daniel. <laughs> Here's my point. When we find something we're excited about, it's just natural for us to want to share it with those around us. So in the same way, guys, when someone encounters the grace of God, that's the most incredible thing we could ever encounter. 
Like it changes our eternity. The natural thing, the natural response should be go and share. Like how can we bring others to Jesus? How can we help others find what we've found? That should be our natural response. Let's keep reading verse 43. It says, the next day Jesus decided to go to Galilee. He found Philip and said to him, follow me. Now Philip was from Bethsaida, the city of Andrew and Peter, same hometown. And Philip found Nathanael and said to him, we have found him of whom Moses and the law and also the prophets wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. Nathanael said to him, can anything good come out of Nazareth? Philip said to him, come and see. Okay, so again, it's the next day. Now Jesus is in Galilee. He finds Philip and he calls him to follow him. Now notice, Philip, immediately after he's found by Jesus, what does he do? He finds Nathanael. It says, Philip found Nathanael. Verse 45. He's like, dude, the Messiah is here. Like the one that was prophesied in the, by Moses in the Old Testament, the one that all the law talked about who would one day come to redeem humanity, he is here. And Nathaniel's not so convinced. He's like, Jesus of Nazareth? Like, can anything good come from that place? You see, guys, again, God's big plan of salvation that he planned before the foundations of the world, like, it wasn't always what we expected. And none of the Jews would have expected that the Messiah would come from Nazareth because Nazareth's kind of this podunk town. Like, maybe Bethlehem, where Jesus was born, like the city of David, that had some weight to it, you know, King David. It's from there as well. Or maybe Jerusalem where the temple was, but not Nazareth. Like Nazareth, like people look down on Nazareth. In fact, Nathaniel grew up in Cana, which is the town right next to Nazareth. So he looked down on it. They're kind of like town rivals. Basically, Nathaniel thought about Nazareth the way that, that we think about Cleveland. You know, it's just like, it's just like little brother. Like, who day? Go Bengals. Right? So look, as Philip is sharing about Jesus with Nathaniel... Nathaniel's skeptical. Like he's not really buying what Philip is saying. But notice Philip's response to Nathaniel's skepticism, because I think this is quite profound, actually. He says, Come and see. Like, dude, come and see for yourself. He doesn't argue. He doesn't get caught going down a different rabbit hole, talking about Nazareth and trying to defend that. He doesn't go all apologetic mode. He just says, come and see for yourself. And Christian, I think there's something we can learn there. Like if this hasn't happened to you yet, it will happen. Like where you're going to be questioned about Jesus. So it's like, you really follow Jesus? Like you're actually a Christian? You find value in that? Or maybe you're sharing the gospel with someone. They just have all, and, and one of the best things I think we can say is just, Come and see. Like, let's discover who Jesus is. Come and see. So look what happens. Verse 47. Jesus saw Nathanael coming toward him and said of him, Behold, an Israelite indeed, in whom there is no deceit. Nathanael said to him, How do you know me? Jesus answered him, Before Philip called you, when you were under the fig tree, I saw you. Okay, so Nathanael and Philip, they're approaching Jesus. And as they're walking up to Jesus, Jesus looks at Nathanael and he kind of drops this statement. He's like, okay, here, here's a man of Israel on whom there's no deceit. And whatever Jesus said here, it like had a big impact on Nathanael because Nathanael's like, how do you know me? We've never even met before. And Jesus 
kind of flashes a bit of his omniscience right here. The fact that he's, he's God and he's all-knowing. He knows everything. He says, before Philip called you, when you were under the fig tree, I saw you. Now just think about how crazy that would be for a second, right? Like say, say you walked into Mercy Hill today and just some rando comes up to you you've never met before in your whole life. And they're like, hey, I know you. And you're like, you don't, what? You don't know? And they're like, yes, this morning, when you, I, I know so much about you. This morning when you were brushing your teeth, I heard you singing Taylor Swift. And all you guys are like, I've never told anybody in my life that I sing Taylor Swift when I brush. And he's like, yeah, and it's from her new album. It was this song. And you, like, I mean, if that actually happened, okay, that would mess with you a bit, right? Someone just points at some obscure detail in your life that only you know about. That would mess with you. And it messed with Nathaniel in the best possible way. Look at his response. Nathaniel answered him, Rabbi, you are the son of God. You are the king of Israel. What's he do? He confesses and declares, just like the rest of the disciples, Jesus, you are the son of God. You are the king. You are Lord. That's pretty amazing. And look at Jesus' response. Here's the last verses. Verse 50, it says, Jesus answered him, because I said to you, I saw you under the fig tree, do you believe? You will see greater things than these. And he said to him, truly, truly, I say to you, you will see heaven opened and the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. So, maybe a little confusing, like what did Jesus just say here? Essentially what Jesus is saying is like, oh, you're impressed with that fig tree thing? Just wait. Just wait to what you're going to see. You're going to see something so much greater. And the thing that he points to that's greater is this, this picture of these angels ascending and descending to heaven. And and it's likely a reference to, to the vision that Jacob had in Genesis 28, where he has that vision, maybe you remember, like that ladder, and there's the angels ascending on and descending. And, and what Jesus is saying there is like, hey, greater than that, I am the mediator who is going to come and bridge the gap between heaven and earth and make a way through my life, death, and resurrection for people like you, Nathaniel, people like me, people like you, broken sinners to be reconciled to God. I'm going to defeat death. I'm going to defeat our sin problem. That's the greater things that's going to happen. Essentially, Jesus is like, you think that fig tree thing's impressive? Just wait till you read the rest of the book of John. So here's a quick summary of our passage. We've got four different guys. We've got Andrew, Peter, Philip, Nathaniel. All these guys encounter Jesus. They confess him as Lord, and they follow him for the rest of their lives. Mercy Hill, when you encounter Jesus, it should change everything about your life. My prayer for us this morning is that we would leave here declaring Jesus, declaring that he is Lord, and that because of the love that we've experienced from him, that we wouldn't be able to just help but share about it. That we'd bring the good news of the cross to those around us and that we'd follow Jesus for the rest of our lives because he is worth it. Pray with me. Father, I thank you for this just incredible story. And this just a reminder that, Lord, you don't, you don't need us, but you delight in using us to bring others to know you. We don't have to have all the answers. 
We don't have to have all the knowledge, Lord. Like, it's your power. You're the one who saves people. You're the one who draws people to yourself, and you delight in using us. And so, Lord, would you continue to help us know and believe that it is worth it to follow Jesus? That we can never outgive you. never follow you and regret it. Truly, Lord, we know how it ends. Our future's secure. You win. And we just praise you. Thank you so much for Jesus.